Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, Wabbo's return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and I prefer the Popeye's chicken sandwich over the uh, Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. Damn it, Matt, what did I say? If, if there's one rule on this podcast, it's that you don't hurt the Chick-fil-A chicken. Just just don't hurt the chicken, Matt. That's that's it. That's it. But you had to take sides. You had to hurt the chicken. I'm sorry. You should be. You should be sorry. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of agonizing small talk, dead dog metaphors, and alien-based death powers as we interpret, analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week we continue Arc 16 from within with Chapter 16.5 and 16.6. It's a couple chapters of some pretty intense conversations, Matt, as Victoria has some chats with Etna, Damsel, and then finally Kenzie. Then, in one of the most intense scenes of the entire book, Kenzie comes clean to her former team. You don't hurt the chicken. Matt, what do you think about these two chapters? Oh, man, these are uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, both of these very uncomfortable chapters. Um, I mean, it, it's interesting, wildly different ways, um, but but a lot we're having a lot of um, a lot of confrontations, right? A lot of uncomfortable confrontations yeah, yeah. between people that have been in a sense, in some cases, slow building. Actually, not not that slow building, right? It's been less than an arc since these conflicts were set up. It just, it feels like certain aspects of the conflict were set up way in advance. I guess we'll probably talk about that when we get to them. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I we talked about this before. I enjoy the action. Um, it's fun. But what I always come to the book for is chapters like these two, where it's really just character conflicts coming into play in really complex interactions, complex, emotional, dialogue-driven interactions. Um, I think it's what the book does the best, and I just really, really, really enjoyed it. I think the second chapter we're covering today is one of my favorite, if not my favorite chapter of the whole book. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. There's just threads have been laid for several of these conversations for just arcs and arcs, right? Yeah. Um, that's I think that's one strength of the way Wabo writes is that there's always kind of it's I suppose it is the gardener style of writing where sure. there there are seeds planted for all of these different potential conflicts potential ways that people can rub up against each other and and uh, I mean I think Wabo himself may not even know how they're going to come to fruition but they when they do come to fruition he can do it in such an interesting and intricate way. Yeah, I agree. And and what I I mean, God, what I love about so much of this stuff is that the main focus here is Kenzie. And, you know, there's some other there's damsel stuff going on. There's some stuff with Aetna going on. But what the book is doing with Victoria in the background of all this stuff, in the subtext of all this stuff, I think is the most fascinating thing to me. And I want to make sure we spend some time on that as we go through these chapters, because she's going through a lot as well. And she's specifically pushing off dealing with any of that, but it's still happening underneath. And I like how the book hints towards that as a, as it uncovers these issues with Kenzie and with other people. Yeah, sure. That, that's a great point. I'm sure we will. Yeah. 
All right, before we move on, some quick announcements. Sure. Uh, we are starting up the fan art contest once yep. again. Um, this one, this time, the theme is reflections. Yeah. Art is due September 30th at midnight Pacific Standard Time. Check out the official rules in the show notes below. Yeah. Um, I say below. It's weird. It's like below in space and time. Greg. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the, that is, that is our theme and we're doing one thing for the first time ever. Um, we are bringing our friends at deep impact into this fan art contest. So in the past, it's only been uh, packed or sorry, worm and ward specific fan art, but we are inviting you guys. If, if you see something with the theme of reflections in packed that you want to make some art for, uh, you can do that as well. The deep impact will be announcing this competition as well so we're kind of going to run it alongside them so uh yeah you check out those rules and get arting yeah we're excited about this one um and i, I like the theme it's it's evocative but not confining yeah yeah that's what we were going for i think it yeah. was uh i believe it was megafire that came up with that one um but if i'm wrong apologies to the person who came up yeah. with it we'll uh, we'll fix that mm -hmm. if not um and then next next announcement announcement scott is going to be out of town the last week of September, so we are going to be doing another mailbag that week. So um, I guess you can start emailing us your questions now. Yeah. And and we will just collect those up until that week. So again, email us at gotwormpod at gmail.com. And we will uh, we'll put all your questions together. We'll answer those on the mailbag. Yeah. Um, we're going to leave that open, I think, for the next two weeks. And I think... I'm trying to think because I know some people only contact us via Reddit, but I don't want to like invade every like the next two threads with mailbag questions when there's still going to be discussion questions going on. Um, so, yeah, I think we're just going to this time around just keep it to email if that's all right. I think that's a good idea. It's very easy to lose stuff in the shuffle with Reddit, I find. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, just reach out to us and email. Put Please put uh, mailbag in the subject line. And uh, we look forward to answering some of your questions. We figured it'd be better than just not having an episode since we've done that uh, a couple times lately. I don't, I yeah. don't like doing that. It bothers me, that, it, especially when it's my fault. So Yeah, sounds good. All right, let's get into this chapter, 16.5. Right. We catch up with Breakthrough and the Huntsman having already mopped up the aftermath of their tangle with Deathchester. In the aftermath of interacting with Damsel, Kinsey is clinging to Victoria as much as she can without actually touching her. Man, so one of the things I really liked at the start of this chapter is there's these bits of the Huntsman and Breakthrough just, like, cleaning stuff. Like, pushing cars out of the way. Rain is using his blade to chop down, like, the, the sticks and the tree bits that were left by Backwoods. I think it's like a window to a part of superheroing that you don't see very often. Like, the super unglamorous cleanup that somebody has to do when yeah. a, a fight is over. And I just like that even in this brief moment we get to see it. Um, I think it's very cool. Yeah, it is funny to imagine rain like cheerfully chopping through his wood. <laughs> right, right, right. Get, uh, get some exercise. Yeah, and and I think very early in this chapter, as you hinted in, in your part, we get a spotlight shown on the main focus of of this evening for us. It's going to be Kenzie, but not just Kenzie specifically. Kenzie's kind of ongoing relationship with Victoria. Um, what you think about it? I think has been kind of a main idea of not just these couple chapters, but the arc as a whole so far. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really love this detail of Kenzie being ridiculously, incredibly close to Victoria, but not touching, you know, she's, she's holding true to her rules. She's not making physical contact, but it's Victoria, the one that, that initiates that physical contact. She puts her hand on Kenzie's shoulder. And if you look through these chapters, I think you'll see kind of this, 
this regular occurrence of Victoria initiating physical contact with Kenzie um, in, in a way to comfort her. Um, and I think that's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get way deeper into the specific Kenzie thing. So I think for now, we'll just we'll just leave that there and, ju- and just say that the, the chapter definitely does begin with this note of um, Kenzie is is right inside Victoria's personal space, but technically, technically adhering to her own yeah. rules. Yeah, but I, I think it is I think it is significant that it is victoria the one to initiate that right like like yeah kenzie's trying to maintain her own rules and it's like victoria standing here like reaching out touching her grabbing her trying to comfort her uh physically and i, I think that i think that's a, a really good microcosm of maybe the the complex nature of their relationship right now yeah right and i mean see i'm 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 not even sure what exactly is going on with Kenzie. Like, like we have a nice long conversation later and, and I think we'll talk about that when we get there. Mm-hmm. But, um, th- there's an interesting f- kind of protagonist blindness that we may be having where, because Victoria is, is the character, she's somewhat blind to what, what this may look like from the outside. Like if, if we, if we had a more objective point of view on her interactions with Kenzie right here, would we be saying, uh oh, pump the brakes. This is turning into another uh, one of those situations that happens over and over again. Um, but because Victoria's inside it, she feels like she's the one who is steering, uh, as it were. She she can't imagine that it could be that bad. I don't know. Do you yeah. have any vibes like that? I do, and I, and I actually think there's moments in the text that we get hints of that i'm thinking about the rain's whole conversation with Kenzie at the end of this chapter in particular. Um, that kind of is abruptly stopped. Um, thanks partially to Victoria. I, I do think there's, there, there is some issues. I mean, and, and I want to say right, right ahead of all of this, that I think Victoria is trying her absolute best and she's in a shitty situation, like where she's putting all this and putting this responsibility of Kenzie on her shoulders. But I do think she's, she's, she's in a bad place generally. And she's kind of playing with fire here. Yeah, I think I, I think I'm I'm as, as we're going back and forth here. I realize we kind of do need to do some table setting because sure. we're, we we are going to talk about it when we get to it. But like, I'm not the the, the shitty thing about it is there's no one to blame. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. It, it it reminds me exactly or the vibes I'm getting, I should say, because there's actually a very little textually that supports this. But the vibes that I'm getting remind me of like when her stepdad, her step her her foster dad dads were doing everything right and 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 from her point of view she was doing what she needed to do to make sure she didn't lose them and the consequence of this was terrible yeah and and once again we have victoria doing seemingly everything right i'm sure we can nitpick some choices that she makes but she, but she's 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 trying to be there for her friend they both lost someone they're both struggling and 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 kenzie is literally saying later on in these chapters um, everything makes sense to me from the inside <laughs> and then everything blows up and I can see in retrospect how I went too far. And then she's saying, and I feel like it's even worse now. So, so that's kind of the mental framework I'm in. It, it's yeah. interesting because it's hard for me to nail down exactly why I'm more worried now than I've ever been before. Um, other than her <laughs> saying that she's desperate, which is kind of an obvious reason why I'd be worried. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I, th- I think that's absolutely right, and I I agree with you that there is stuff. It's not it's not super like just blatantly there in the text, but I I I made a lot of connections between how 
Kenzie is describing herself in the next chapter to what Victoria is specifically going through right now. And I think that's another one where you're talking about there where Kenzie is describing this this idea that like I can't see what's wrong while I'm doing it. How am I supposed to fix that? And I think this, Victoria is going through a similar thing. You could say Victoria does that kind of thing a lot, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's all one right. of those compartmentalization things. Let's, but, let's yeah. stop setting the table and let's smash let's, our face into the plate. Yeah, let's get into this meal. Yeah. Um, so Kenzie wants to do their illicit, very bad idea interdimensional snooping project tonight. <laughs> um, but she'll need to get some equipment from the chicken tenders to make it work. Uh, let's just let's just reiterate that this remains a no good, simply bad, terrible idea, <laughs> and they absolutely shouldn't do it at the best possible time, let alone like right now. Like it seems like right now is the worst fucking time for this. Yeah, I, I and and I'm not entirely sure what the motivation is to do it right now. I mean, I, I think it's I think there is a motivation. I think it's like they they feel like they can help. But I, I think the idea is that they can prevent the bad thing from happening. Right. And, yeah. and, and they, they don't, the bad thing could happen at any moment and therefore we have to do it as soon as possible. And why not now? Yeah. Um, it's just that I think that it's going to cause the bad thing. So yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I go back and forth on that, Matt. Like I think, <laughs> I think he, you, you said last week that you were like, well, I think they're, they're showing so much attention to this being the thing that causes the bad thing that it's making me doubt the bad thing. And now I don't, I don't, I, I'm starting to believe that. And then I go back yeah. and forth. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I think the, I think the open door swinging in Victoria's head is going to be a big part of things. But yeah. And that is I, one thing. That is one thing that deliciously Victoria has kept away from everybody, right? Like, yeah, everyone's agreeing to do this thing, knowing the risks to it, except there's one part of the risk that Victoria has kept to herself and has not told anyone else about. Right. Yeah. I mean, speaking like you just said about people who everything seems fine to them from the inside, only when only in retrospect, do they realize it was a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, I love I love this bit of I mean, I guess the writing, I guess also the psychology of it, just the the characterization of Victoria um, where uh, Kenzie says something sad and Victoria says, what was I even supposed to say here? What would Ashley have said? That would be so out of sync with normal expectations, but so right for Kenzie. And then she thinks, who's going to stick around to tell me I'm awesome if you go and get your head smashed in? <laughs> no, not that blatant about the ego, but who's going to tell me to use hala for French toast if you go and get your head smashed in? I like having you around, Kenzie. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's really fun because she's like, she's, again, she's trying desperately to be there for Kenzie. Yeah. She knows that just kind of being herself is not going to do it because it kind of hasn't in the past. Right. And so she kind of like morphs a version of her, her tragically lost friend into her personality to do this. Yeah. And she can't like, she it's, it, it is funny because she's trying as best as she can to, em, to emulate Ashley and it just doesn't quite get there. Right. It's yeah. just not like she can't, the Chala, the Hala and French toast. I, I love that. Um, and then she, but she adds this, I like having you around Kenzie bit to the end of it. Right. And that is the part that Kenzie specifically picks up on and says, basically telling me that you like having me around is super dangerous. Like that, that's really, don't do, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Victoria's response to that is like a dismissive. I can handle dangerous. And it's like, okay, but she's like, she's telling you. <laughs> yeah. Not, you know, you, you specifically can't handle this particular brand of dangerous, uh, yeah. like, like, the, yeah. Uh, okay. 
Yeah. Well, and it's even less like dangerous for you, Victoria, in that like to me, the danger here is that it causes Kenzie to backslide in some way. Like, like yeah. she's going to do something and it could upset Victoria. But I don't think Victoria is the type of person that like Kenzie goes too far and does something that Victoria is just going to never forgive her forever. Right. It's just like to me, the concern here is that this is going to set Kenzie back. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's what she means by dangerous, probably. I mean, Kenzie also has an appreciation that she's done real damage to the lives of all these people in the past. Right, so, right. I, so, think, I think Kenzie means dangerous for Victoria. Mm-hmm. I think the real danger here is not so much for Victoria. Like like Victoria said, she yeah. can handle that. But yeah, that's not the only thing you have to worry about. It, 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 you have to worry about her and her growth as well. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I got you. Um, yeah, so this element of Victoria trying to be what Kenzie needs to be and it needs her to be is a through not, a through line in these two chapters that we're discussing. Yeah. Um, and on the one hand, like we were saying, it, it's admirable and positive. And on the other hand, uh, the things that she's doing do seem to be high risk in the sense of making it more likely to activate some of her less healthy coping behaviors. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it seems to be a risk that Vicky literally has to take if she wants to help Kenzie. Like the only way out is through. Yeah, um, I don't know if she she's kind of put it on her. She's kind of put this burden on herself to do it herself. Right. Um, Like I'm the only one that can help her. Um, And and like, I mean, if you look at it, that might be true. Like everyone else is going through their own shit right now. Like, I don't think Tristan can be someone that's going to swoop in and like help with Kenzie at this point. Uh, He's got his own shit going on. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that there are parts of this that I, I don't think she's that great at. Like we just talked about the, I like having you around Kenzie was probably not something she should have said. Um, but she is trying her hardest. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I mean, we don't have, we don't have time for it, but it would be interesting to do a little, uh, look, look over in just the way that the way that Swan song did talk to Kenzie and, and the way she, like her kind of gruff way of expressing affection where it was, obvious that she was being affectionate but she would never say it in a in a literal straightforward way like i like having you around kenzie um and how maybe that was actually positive for kenzie yeah um, yeah yeah i mean there, there's a bit later in this in the next chapter that is just heartbreaking where kenzie says that you know ashley said um i would i'll be around you forever as long as you're my minion or something and uh-huh. then and then she eventually dropped the minion part and that i mean that is the way that ashley communicates that it is much less direct than saying i like having you around it is just kind of an indirect very ashley kind of way and yeah victoria just doesn't communicate like that um i mean that and that's the thing is like victoria and ashley i think eventually got along but they're very different people with very different approaches to this whole thing and um she she's not very good at emulating her and yeah I, I don't know if that's a good way to handle this either i don't know if if oh i'll just try to be like swan song for her is a good way to approach this i don't yeah i don't know see that's the that's the fascinating thing is i have no idea what the good way to approach this oh, would yeah. be yeah i i fully i fully say like criticize this approach while not having anything better to offer absolutely right. absolutely yeah like i said like you almost can't offer comfort to someone who's grieving without um getting closer to them yeah and and, and that is a risk sure. so yeah it's a really fascinating situation that wild those created here yeah no I, I love it so the two teams uh that are here discuss logistics of needing to move all their shit out of the city before it falls through a hole in space time or whatever <laughs> uh victoria asks what the, the other team plans to do and snow white says basically scatter survive and uh fight bad guys Ugh, I, I I don't know, man. This is a pretty dour, like depressing 
couple chapters, but yeah. I really liked this part, right? Like this, this like dogged determinism, like, yeah. like even if everything collapsed, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to keep yeah. doing hero stuff. We're going to stick together. We're going to fight. We're going to take out the bad guys. Um, and Victoria's response a Victoria who remember is in a shitty mood is pretty down on herself, down on just hero dumb in general. Cause the, she feels like they fails says that's simple, huh? And Snow White's like response here is just perfect. Simple. Yes. Easy. No. Like making the choice in her mind to continue to be this person is simple. I, I want, I want to be a hero. I'm going to keep being a hero. Doing it is the hard part. And uh, I, I just love that. I love that little beat. It's like a small, tiny beat mixed amongst all this other stuff going on, but I really liked it. Yeah, it does. It does express a lot about Victoria's state of mind that she's framing it that way, because mm-hmm. that it seems like that would be her answer if she had uh, if she were in a better place. Yeah. Yeah. But now she is. We've seen her a few times looking for this like ultimate solution. And to her mind, it's like if she can take some some path that just solves the problem then she'll take that over mm-hmm. having to continue to grind through um the slog of of being a hero that 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 it has been for this whole story yeah yeah man yeah <laughs> it scares me yeah. yeah i i do want to point out here while they're talking about moving um sveta drops this little line about how she recently just had to help someone move and that's that's weld right like weld has moved out of her apartment um that's what i got i don't know i I, I, I didn't really think about it, honestly. Um, well, you should have because it's, it's so important. So it's so important. But I mean, they're 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 all having to move out of the apartment, right? So yeah, yeah. But like, but well, move like, out first, she, I guess. I just feel yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all leaving, but I like the fact that maybe well move first. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. I mean, sure. I don't know. <laughs> Good catch. I'll give it to you. Thank you. Um, so next comes like one of the funniest bits in the story. <laughs> Uh, as the team drives to Deathchester's hideout uh, with Etna, and, Et- and Etna uh, proves to just be just absolute crap at holding a conversation. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hilarious, but it really is. But for, I mean, in a in a slightly more direct way, I want to I want to sit with this moment where Etna takes them to her Etna mobile because it's just it's just such a perfect parahumans moment because like this is this villain they faced off with, who Victoria almost considers a nemesis. She's She's mocked her costume um, and turns out that Etna is just super awkward, has a shitty red hatchback that she named that Etna Mobile. <laughs> and, and she's self-conscious about her car being messy before showing it to people. And it's you, you're like, you're like, oh, like, yeah, this is this is just a this is a young woman who has her own life and her own problems and yeah. her own situation. And yeah. Yeah. And I God, I love it all so much. You're right. It's absolutely funny. But like. On on the one hand, like, I feel like Etna's just super nervous about this whole situation. Like, regardless of what she did in the past, she's trying to be a hero now. And and here's this, these people she fought against now. And she's like about to be stuck in a car with them. And it's like, ah, so we're we're all the heroes now. Yep. And like, I like I'm not saying that Etna is not just the type of person who can't hold a conversation. But I also think like her completely being too nervous to engage in conversation with any of these people makes a lot of sense to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's fought them in these dire situations before, like yeah. the, when, when they went into 
Earth N, and it was just it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad actually. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I just I, lo- I love her specific brand of, of awkwardness and the way it's described <laughs> in the text. Where yeah. Tristan's like, "Oh, you have any tips on making weapons?" And she's like, "No, no, not really." <laughs> Hefts her weapon to show it, and then sets it down again. <laughs> yeah, and that's oh. it. And, okay. And like, I love it. Yeah. Tristan, Tristan in particular is trying so hard. And I actually love how Victoria describes Tristan's efforts here, because first of all, it's funny. But second of all, I think it really gives you a, a, a like a really great idea of what what Victoria's mindset is, because like I could see how much agony he was in the energy he was putting into bashing his head into this brick wall was a consequence of his stubbornness and his extroverted nature catalyzing together. I could picture him dragging his fingernails down his cheeks. Um, uh, it's like, yeah, Tristan is absolutely putting a lot of energy into this conversation and he's probably pretty frustrated that it's not really working, but like, look at the, way in which victoria describes it though it's like super harsh like bashing he's in agony he's bashing his head against a wall he's dragging his fingers down his cheeks this is like harsh and like brutal descriptions we're getting from our protagonist here absolutely you know this is also a victoria trait um (laughs) just just in general like she she has always um this is an especially good example of it and, and i think you're right that it is reflecting her mood but she is definitely one for just like creating kind of graphically horrible visuals to go with mundane situations. Uh, I, I can't pull any others to my head in this moment, but it's something I've noticed before and never really remarked on on the show. Uh, but I feel like this is part of her character, like just a, a tendency to be very morbid with her kind of metaphors yeah. and, and, and mental imagery. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, and it's yeah. usually that kind of stuff is usually reserved for her self, right? She doesn't, I don't, I don't think she communicates that type of morbid imagery. Yeah. She usually work. doesn't say it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just in her own mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Also, she's just like a massive dick here because <laughs> uh-huh. they get to talking about how being a villain seems easier, but it really isn't. Uh, but even when you're like, even now that Edna's a hero, people still hate you. And Victoria is just like. Well, maybe that's because so many people choose being a villain first because they thought it'd be easier and more fun, even if it meant stepping on the civilians along the way, which is totally fair. It's completely fair. But like, it's just like, Jesus, Victoria, even Svet is like, hey, <laughs> right. slow your roll. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is a fully correct read, but like, it's fun for me to imagine that like in the text, Victoria is like, yeah, and I am. Um, I gave her a nod to to show her that that we were good, mm-hmm. and then and then Edna was like, "Really, we're good?" And she's like, "Yeah, we're really good." And then, but like, Sveta's aware that she's in a mood. Mm-hmm. Victoria's clearly like, like very internal and and dealing with all this shit right now. And I, I think it's very likely that Victoria's just coming off way harsher and more, I don't know, unhinged than she thinks she is. Yeah, I think so too. I, I absolutely think that's true. And like, I think we see internally that that is reflected of that because when Etna says, yeah, the villain costumes are so much cooler too. And internally she's just like, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do agree that if, if we were watching this entire scene from the, the perspective of another character, I think they would be describing Victoria's the, the way in which Victoria is speaking here as way harsher than Victoria herself considers it. I, yeah. I totally agree there. Yeah. Um, so I, I love this 
particular piece of prose, I just think it's beautiful. Uh, as they're driving, if I paid attention to my flight while sitting in the car, could I feel the difference as we got further away, like I felt the difference while rising in the air? The drive felt like it took the question mark at the end of that question and dragged it out into a long, unconscious drone, a question without a firm answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. For some reason, that's one of those phrasings where you, you just get it, even though you've never personally used your f- flight ability as a way of detecting interdimensional disruption while driving in a car. Yeah, no, I, I like it. I mean, just like just the general imagery of a, a long drawn out question mark without an answer is like the entirety of every single conversation in these chapters. Yeah, <laughs> like there's there's no there's like a long drawn out dragged out question with no it, answer to it. Yeah, it's like a, it, it's this this idea of a long unconscious drone could be used to describe like the tension from what's going on with Kinsey in the background, yeah. the tension of what's going to happen with the city in the background uh what's going to happen with ashley or you know damsel uh yeah it just goes on and on yeah and i think the text does some other interesting stuff around this moment too something that i don't see very often in this book or maybe i do and i'm just wrong but it really really jumped out at me here where in like victoria i feel like is i is either type of person that's very descriptive in what's going on or she has it zoned out completely to the point where we just don't see what's going on here. But on, during the car ride, it shifts to kind of like a a summary type of prose here where she says, my thoughts turned into the upcoming conversation, ways to handle it. And from there, they spun off in a bunch of different directions. I bought, brought up a few with the team and we had a back and forth before the conversation died for reasons having nothing to do with Aetna, which is like the narration summarizing what happened on the journey. And I don't think this book does that that often. Yeah. Yeah, usually I feel like it would just skip that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I I agree. I agree that normally we don't get a. Um, I, I think the closest we would get is uh, something else that actually happened um, in this chapter. But I, so so I agree with you. It doesn't happen very often. But but something similar happened in this chapter where she says like uh, I went and talked to the civilians, and then I came back to the team and just yeah. didn't help with the yeah. cleanup. And it's like wow, we just uh, we we skipped over the talking to the civilians. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And she kind of, she kind of summarized it. She did a, a yada yada for us, the reader, right? Yeah. Which is, yeah. yeah, it's not something this book does very often. I wonder if there's more to this, like the fact that it's the fact that it's happening now. Let's keep a, let's keep an eye on it. Yeah. I mean, my, my, the first thing that jumped in my head when I thought of this is just, it is a reflection of like Victoria's exhaustion and, and her mood. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to go through all this. I'll just, <laughs> let me just yada. Yeah. This is yeah. blah, 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 blah. We did this. Um, next thing. Right. I yeah. think it's just a, it, it's a way of kind of getting you into her headspace a little more maybe, but I, I agree we should pay attention to it. Right. Like she's she, normally when she talks to civilians, she kind of brings her a game and puts on, puts on the show. Right. And yeah. I think she's sick. She's heartbroken. She doesn't, want to fucking deal with it she's gonna do it anyway but mm-hmm. it's it's not gonna be uh it's not gonna be tip top uh uh, uh carol dallin crafted personae Ooh, you um, said the c word <laughs> well you we all know we all know <laughs> um yeah no i agree i agree yeah cool so they they finally reach the villain's hideout and kenzie uses a plethora of tech to let the team look into the building with their phones Rain comments that she's got way too much tech crammed into her eyeballs, and he actually says there are multiple red flags. This is the most frustrating conversation in the world to me in these entire two chapters. 
and and I think it is the best example of specific ways in which Victoria is is not doing that well with the Kenzie stuff, because I think we have here in the situation, rain raises some legitimate concerns about how much tech Kenzie is stuffing into herself. It's too much. He said it's dangerous. He says, I, I, I can think of six problems I have with this, maybe seven. Um, like now that I think about it and then Kenzie takes this information and then pivots to talk about the mission and rain points out in this dialogue. I think you're just trying to distract me. And Kenzie's response to that is, can we worry about this after? And then she drops Ashley's name, right? She says, can yeah. we worry about this after? She drops Ashley's name. And Victoria immediately takes the bait and says, don't call her Ashley. That's damsel. It's not Ashley. And she kind of runs down this path of correcting her on this. And then Deathchester comes outside and then Rain's entire concern is just kind of tossed aside. And so, so Rain raises a concern. Kenzie deflects. Vicky grabs that deflection and and sprints towards the goal line with it. Yeah. And then up. Oh, oops. We're, now we're out of time. Sorry, guys. Right. Yeah. And I believe the text actually uses the phrase red flags, right? Yes, like, it does. It does. So like that's I don't think he was being euphemistic. I think he was saying like these are things you shouldn't be doing and, and you should stop doing. And Kenzie's yeah. like, it's not that bad. Hey, look over there. And then he's going to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, <laughs> I mean, do you think, do you think we're going to get back to Rain's issues with Kenzie's tech? Is that going to come up later in these chapters? I mean, I don't know if we're going to get back to Rain's issues specifically. I think we're going to get back to her tech <laughs> and, and there being problems that are caused by her doing things that violate, uh, I don't know, violate rules that even at, even a, a one quarter tinker like Rain can identify as yeah. being, uh, sloppy or, 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 um, hazardous don't worry matt victoria felt her head it wasn't that warm yeah it's not it's that warm fine. rain it's not that warm it's, Back come on off. rain calm down rain yeah her skull her skull hasn't been cooked yet so <laughs> don't worry so God. terrifying yeah uh, i mean like and again i don't want to be harsh on victoria but like if rain is smart enough to pick up on kenzie's deflection yeah like victoria come on and it's like and it's because i think victoria is so wrapped up in this Ashley stuff because she's mourning her too right like she's she lost a friend and and Victoria you know frames this as as Kenzie lost the person her favorite person in the world but she lost someone too and she's not really dealing with that at all and it's messing her up here it is yeah I mean Kenzie can be very manipulative like like overtly intentionally manipulative this is a a trait of hers throughout Mm -hmm. the whole story and she's absolutely doing that here yeah totally Mm -hmm. you're right so yeah, like you say, before they can continue that conversation, Deathchester comes outside and Gibbet surrounds uh, them with wooden barriers. Uh, Damsel knocks Torso over again, and then uh, <laughs> she tells them that she hired Epios to check for Kenzie's tech. I think Epios is basically a parahuman hacker who has showed up in the story multiple times before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the reason I'm mentioning that is because I think that he also has a stranger power because I don't remember him at all. Um, he he was the guy in a worm who wrote the virus the undersiders used on the PRT headquarters. Yeah. He's just kind of in the background doing shit. I I think that's a good reflection of how big this world is still, you know, like, like we feel like we've seen a lot of the capes in it and a lot of the big players, but it's all these other people we don't even interact with regularly. Yep. But I mean, I think rain tries to get his last little bit in here now that, that Epios has messed with Kenzie's tech. Maybe it's even more of a concern. (laughs) But nobody is listening. 
Nobody yep. cares. Yep. Nobody. Nobody. Enough. Nobody even acknowledges anything Rain says. So. Oh, poor. Yeah. Uh, so he's going to be right. He's going to be right. He, he is. Uh, absolutely. Yes. So after some excellent back and forth between Victoria and Damsel, Victoria states her demands. Uh, I mean, uh, humble requests. <laughs> uh, the loot in exchange for more than its cash value. Information about Damsel's dreams. And for Deathchester to back off and stop risking interdimensional disasters. I, I want to spend some time on this conversation, Matt, because I think this is really important. And I really like what, what Wildo's doing here. Because... Like Damsel spends the entirety of this conversation posturing in very traditional Ashley ways, right? One of the things I love about about it is is the difference between this Ashley and the one we saw in Eclipse is almost negligible. Like she's not the same person exactly, but she's damn close. Yeah. And I mean, just like just the idea of naming her group Deathchester is like a perfect way of symbolizing that, right? Like she is obsessed with that former that former chance at glory and is trying to recapture it in any way any way possible yeah and like literally chasing the past but at the same time as much as he's posturing and saying i'm the leader of this group we get this little bit here where trophy wife says you got your trial run as leader damsel it doesn't mean we're all underlings and i think that's a betrayal of the fact that this isn't really her group right like she's yeah. pretending like it is but she just kind of like got the temporary leadership like trial run and is pretending like she's in charge and she's not and it just makes me sad for her like she's so obsessed with this former life and this this glory that she never got and just trying again and still it's all just bullshit oh absolutely the whole the whole the whole existence of damsel is is a tragedy because it's it's every it's every bad consequence from her not choosing to try to reform herself the, yeah, the way the yeah. way swan song did and now she has the permanent you know example of swan song to show her basically in a way what what she could have had um yeah. although she's she's avoiding looking at it that way uh, but victoria kind of forces her to in a way yeah. in this conversation i mean i just love the fact that swan song is the one who's dead but damsel is entirely frozen Right. She yeah. is. It, it, she's not mo- not moving, not advancing, not growing at all. And I, I love that. Yeah. Right. Um, so before we move on from this, I was just thinking about the word uh, disaster. OK. Which is, which is a great word. It's a great word. Been thinking it? about it. What's well, the word origins, Matt? It, it means basically means basically bad star. Right. Like aster means star disaster means a bad star it's like an unlucky star it's an unlucky omen it's a uh-huh. bad omen it's a it's a it's a disaster uh-huh um and terry's is a star well fuck matt yeah what'd you do so, you broke it you broke my brain so you know just heads up everybody i love that you picked up on that because i just like i i think that's just fun just having fun with words in a way that doesn't even have to be I, the way in which it was intended at all, but still remains true in a terrifying way. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, it's possible that I'm entirely wrong and that, and that this coming disaster has nothing to do with her, but you can view her as, I mean, I don't think she, I would be very mean and I think unfair to say that Victoria Dallin is a disaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, <laughs> she but could like be responsible for one, she could be responsible for one, for one. She's probably going to have a hand in one before the, before this book is over. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yeah. There's just a neat little neat little wordplay there. Yeah. Well done, Matt. Well done. Thanks for scaring me. Yep. So anyway, uh, in exchange for um, coming along with Victoria's humble requests, 
they offer Damsel and her team a seat at the table among the big league villains, something Victoria knows that Damsel is desperate for. Yeah, I, so I, I love this so much because we see each of each of these characters trying to play each other based on what they know about each other. And, and this really great beat here where we see uh, Victoria basically guess that the reason Damsel's so calm right now is she'd had she'd had time to consider the situation. And while I'd been thinking of how to approach the conversation and what to offer, she had been coming to terms with that glimmer of swan song within her. So it's not as if that glimmer is gone. It's just she's warped it and transformed it into a tool for her benefit. Um, she felt in control, poised and powerful because she was harnessing that glimmer. Um, and, and that's just not dealing with it at all. Right. That's just like pushing it off in the worst possible way. Um, yeah, right. She's kind of put it in a box. Yeah. But it allows her to be perfectly manipulated by by Victoria here, like just perfectly. It's just yeah. like Victoria just wins this conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the exchange is too long for us to quote. But, the, the you know, the, the idea that uh, when Damsel's like, I've, I've seen what's what's inside you now. And, and, and I, you know, and now and I know the truth. And Victoria's like, the only reason we're here is that we've seen what's inside you. Burn. You're like, oh, shit. Got her. It's been, that's that's so fucking good. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And but I mean, this chapter ends kind of on a, a bad note, though, because Victoria admits that in in arranging things to give Damsel everything she wants, She's basically forced to become the exact type of person she doesn't want to be. Um, and I mean, that's a perfect microcosm of Victoria in general, who just continually puts other people's wants or overall wants the overall mission, the overall goodness of the planet ahead of her own self-care. And we I think we hit that beat a lot more explicitly in the next chapter. But it's kind of this is a great chapter end to, to prepare us for that kind of emotional resonance. Yeah, I think you're right. Speaking of that next chapter, let's jump on into it. Let's do it. 16.6. We rejoin Victoria, trudging her way uh, out of the megacity with Kinsey, slogging through the most intense snowstorm she's seen in her time living here. Mm -hmm. And just for some flavor text, the lights I did see were just as worrying because it marked people who would be, who would be lost to us if we let the city break. It was better to look at them as distress flares than anything reassuring. That's great. Matt, this chapter, this chapter, uh, God, there's, there's going to be so much to say, but right off the bat, what I want to talk about and, and make us remember as we go through it is how Wildbo takes this Kenzie conversation here and, and then takes the setting it's occurring in and just completely mirrors them together to just make this, to just have this overall feeling, right? This overall, it's, it's stormy. They're on the edge of civilization. Um, it's terrible out. Kenzie is struggling to get over mounds of snow and it just mirrors perfectly the emotions of what they're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that line you pulled out, I think is really perfect here because we're seeing light once again as not a signal of, of warmth, of hope, of goodness, but in Victoria's eyes, a distress signal, a, a symbol and reminder of the people needing to be saved or worse, the people that they're going to fail to save when the inevitable happens, which I think is a great window into Victoria's uh, desperate, desperate tr trying for optimism, but like the the pessimism kind of rearing its ugly head here. That's great. She literally sees the lights as worrying. It, it would be better if the city were dark and dead, in yeah. her opinion. Yeah, because then we wouldn't be failing anyone because yeah. th this feeling that we are going to fail people. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Oh, it's so good. So she also reminds herself that she shouldn't complain when other people are, quote unquote, hurting worse and are way more helpless. This I I just want to 
I just want to smack her <laughs> and be like, Victoria, come on here. I think, you know, one of the things I love about this is I think we touched on this a little bit last week, right? I think yeah, we this did. was someone's answer to the how do you identify with Victoria question was related to this this kind of character trait right here, right? Yeah. Um, her her tendency to minimize her own trauma at the expense or, or, or to to assist in other people's, right? Um what happened to me wasn't so bad. I have no right to complain. These people have it worse. And it's just like it's just it's frustrating because you're like, no, like you went through a whole lot of shit, Victoria. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, she's yeah, she's just lost one of her friends. Like yeah, that's yeah. that's not something that you that that generally. Uh, yeah, I'm sure some I'm sure people are hurting worse than you probably somewhere. But like, Jesus, t- take them take a minute, you know, right. It's well, been it's been it's been less than a week. Yeah. Well, and the, the part that frustrates me the most is she kind of goes down this dog metaphor. Right. Um, She says that like the city uh, having to lose the city after working so hard for it was kind of like watching a dog get run over and she tried to save it, but she couldn't. But she feels bad and she can't say anything because other people were closer to the dog than I was, which is like, what? You cared about that dog a whole lot. Like, don't pretend like you weren't emotionally connected to this dog. Like it, it, she's distancing herself because she wants to minimize. She feels like it's unfair to draw attention to her sadness and her trauma and, and her dealing with the failure because other people matter more. And it's just like, no, th- you lost your dog, too. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is one of the most interesting traits of Victoria is that she never, ever allows herself to be selfish. Yeah. She, yeah. she like when she when she lost her friend and she was sick. Oh, well, I guess I'm just going to go basically adopt a child today. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like it would be it would be totally appropriate and understandable for her to be like, yeah, um. I need a hug from from somebody, maybe not Kenzie, maybe from somebody else like it just the idea that she's always the one who should be taking care of people, even when she's the one who needs to be taken care of. I mean, on the one hand, it's admirable. On the other, it's borderline irresponsible because she can't actually do that. Yeah, she's not that she's not that strong. Yeah. And her trauma is real. and, And the things that have happened to her are real. And she shouldn't minimize that. She should. She should allow herself to feel that. And, and what I love about it is, is she reframes dealing with her shit as complaining, right? Yeah. Like can't bitch when other people are hurting worse and are way more helpless. Well, we're not talking about just whining, right? Like, like self care and, and seeking assistance from other people and seeking the same kind of emotional and physical support that you're giving Kenzie is not whining to people. Do you think Kenzie's whining to you when she's talking about the things she's going through right now? No, she's not whining. She's just trying to deal with her shit and she's talking to someone about it. Like stop framing the way you're dealing with your stuff as bitching. Like that's stop it. Victoria, stop it. I mean, we already said the C word, but but you you know where this comes from. (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) This is precisely a, Child of Carol characteristic. Absolutely, absolutely. A, a, you always have to have the cool, the, the hero face on. Even before you were a hero, even before you had powers, you you had to be the leader of of everything and poised and perfect. And um, like like e- even when something horrible happens, we're going to frame this within a framework of of like a binder of how yeah. you deal with trauma and and follow this protocol and 
If you're, oh, oh, Victoria, I see you're not following the uh, my friend just died protocol. Yeah, um, we, yeah. we need to have a we need to have a meeting uh, mm-hmm. after after school. Um, like th- this is like I mean I think I don't remember where it was exactly, but somebody was pointing out, or maybe it was even you actually, and, and we were just talking about it. But it's just like the idea that she she needs to have a reckoning with Carol more than she needs to have a reckoning with Amy at this point. Yeah, because Car- Carol is her. You know, Carol caused her trigger event. Let's just say that out loud. <laughs> it wasn't a basketball game. Right, right, right. Yeah, and and not to minimize her her issues with Amy and her and Amy's role and how much happened to Victoria. But I, I do I I agree with that. I, I I think that was just our one of our private G chat conversations. But I, I I think she does. I think she yeah she needs to have this Carol reckoning for sure yeah. for sure. Okay, good. Glad we fixed all that. All right. So uh just just do that. Just do yep. that, Victoria. Just do that. Yep. Um so yeah, finally in this chapter, Kinsey begins to explicitly let Victoria know how fucking bad she's doing. Mm-hmm. She gives a fairly thorough, subjective assessment of what's going on with her. She's been struggling, feels like everything is a bad fit and a ton of work, um, and that she isn't getting better. And Victoria counters that she is improving. But from Kenzie's point of view, it's just been an endless sequence of making the same general kind of mistake and losing people over and over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love how she relates all this back to her stepfather's mood board thing um, yeah. and, and this realization that I'm not the only one that puts a smiley face on the board, even though I'm feeling like shit. Like everybody yeah. does that. Everyone around me does that. Um, the person she's talking to. Hi, Victoria, does yeah. that constantly. Um, and Kenzie's problem is or her self-diagnosed problem at least is that she can't process the face behind the face right like she she's missing the part in her brain she says that is able to understand people and the the mask that they're putting on versus the way they're really feeling um and i just love this because like we said victoria is literally doing this right now like as she's talking to her about this this is exactly what victoria is doing yeah yeah yep i I think that's true um it's just such a frustrating well not frustrating is the wrong word it's just sad it's yeah, just it a is. sad just, it is god sad moment well and, um, and I, I like this this <clears throat> understanding of like victoria can try to make her feel better but like look here's here's my experience uh i messed up i got put to a new place everyone told me i was doing better there and then i messed up again and i got moved to a new place everybody told me i was doing better there and then i messed up and i got moved to a new place and that's that's her life that's her entire life um, since her trigger and even before that actually and you know how how do you feel like you're making progress in in those moments right how how does that happen i think she says later um how am i supposed to recognize when i'm doing something wrong if i don't see it till afterwards right yeah. how do you how do you stop yourself from doing something if you can't see yourself doing it in the first place yeah right i mean it's <sighs> like it's fascinating to me as the reader because i'm like i have no fucking idea what to say to this girl <laughs> right right like if if i were here instead of victoria and and i've i've been in kinsey's head and i've been with her for a million words i, I just have to be like uh i mean like like because victoria basically says what you would say she'd be like no no like like everyone everyone around you says you're doing better mm-hmm. like but and, and she's like yeah but like that's what they all said the last two times too. Yeah. But I'm going to screw and, it up again. It's going to yeah. happen. And look, here's the evidence. Boom. Right. Yeah. Like she's, she's actually being rational, right? Yeah. I guess um, to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, rational in terms of 
it's, it's hard to argue with someone who is actually right about the things they're pointing out. It's just like maybe some distorted thinking, yes, but also the distorted thinking has a basis in fact. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, Victoria does a good job trying to talk to her. I, I'm not trying to say she does a terrible job. It's just the problem is that, is that Kenzie gradually reveals herself to be in such a bad place that there's really just no right thing to say that would help yeah. much. Uh, she She's uh, like the only way Victoria is really able to connect is by talking about how she felt after Gold Morning, how she felt similar. But that doesn't really go very far. It doesn't really lead into a a, a commiseration. Um, it, it's more the whole conversation, you know, overall, once you kind of read through it, it's more like Kinsey is just working herself up to confessing that she's having these desperate feelings that the worst she's ever had yeah. in, in her own words. Um, and it's just it's it's. It, it all it all just reads like the, like she just kind of wanted to say that, um, and and of course she works in the fact that she's started menstruating, which is a whole another conversation that Victoria isn't ready to have hiking through the snow uh, right now. So yeah, it's pretty much the worst possible time for this to happen because yeah. you have you already are having complex feelings and emotions, and now you're going to have a bunch of complex feelings and emotions on top of those and wrestling with. All that at the same time sounds absolutely miserable. Uh, also, now you just feel like shit. You're just crampy. Yeah. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. Hooray. Yeah. It's just t- totally, totally miserable. Here's some more. Here's some more physical misery yeah. on top of that. Yeah. But I mean, I agree with you. Just the the inability for Victoria or anyone to answer any of these questions or or provide any kind of platitude that just makes her feel better just it's so it's it makes you feel so powerless right i mean you're just like there's nothing there's nothing we can do here for you like i don't know i'll just i'll be there for you (laughs) yeah right that's that's all she can say and you can just kind of imagine kenzie being like great (laughs) yeah well like that's the problem though is that she doesn't believe that you like that isn't yeah right she she doesn't believe you and also views that as like a kind of trap that she's just going to ruin anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So like that that in any other situation, I think that would at least be like, well, at least I will be here for you. But yeah, that's part of the issue. Right. Yeah. I, 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 th- I love this conversation, but I think the thing I love most about it is we kind of hinted at earlier the setting, right? They're trudging through the snowstorm. They're walking further away to the city from the city and they reach this point where we come to this impasse we've been talking about where there's like no, there's nothing more to say. There's no more advice to give. There's nothing. And it's, it's when Kenzie says, this is the first time since I first ruined everything that I feel like it's all gotten so much worse. And suddenly the text says we'd reached the end of the city. No more sidewalk, no more road, just wilderness. And I love, I love, I love the environment here. So we've reached the end. No more sidewalk, no more road. Kenzie's situation, indeed all of the trauma that some of our characters are facing like you walk down a road, the road to recovery, right? You walk down the road to recovery and then eventually you get to a point where you're like, well, shit, now what do we do? And it's not a fork in the road. It's not a a Contessa choice where you have like path A, B or C. It's just the road ends and it's just this treacherous wilderness path where you don't know if you're going the right way, it's hard. It's hard to walk in. It's easy to trip. It's easy to get lost. It's tough to know if you're even walking the way you want to go. And that's where they're on, on the edge of this road going into this wilderness. And I just love that as the symbolic environmental factor of this whole conversation. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, that's, I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And I feel like I just feel like that's like that's what Kenzie's going through. But I think that's what Victoria's going through at the same time. And I think it's what all of our characters are going through a little bit. Like, I just like this idea that, like, as you as you make this journey towards recovery or whatever, um, you know, maybe the road starts out laid in front of you. Right. Like you've got advice from other people. You've got maybe support from a therapist. You've got support from your friends. But eventually you're going to get to a point where it's the road is a lot less clear sure yeah i i I think that i mean it it seems to make sense that one of the things this book would be saying is like there there's not going to be a cookie cutter um you know worksheet that allows you to just figure out the path from wherever you are to whatever healthy or or better looks like Mm -hmm. um for each person that's going to be an independent wayfinding path through the wilderness Mm -hmm. and um yeah um i i was i i admit i kind of read this scene where they reach the wilderness as more like a kind of all is lost moment almost where it's like kenzie's tried so hard and things are worse than they've ever been sure and and we're we've reached the end of the city you know like you can read that in two different ways right you can read that in that we've reached the end um things can only get better from here right scott (laughs) No, no, no. Um, <laughs> but maybe at the end of this chapter, we've we've uh, passed the kidney stone, as it were. I mean, part of part of the way I was reading uh, Kenzie's um, mood here, and, and maybe I'm projecting here, but like when you, when there's something horrible that you have to go through, like a horrible conversation that you're going to have to have, mm-hmm. you'll avoid thinking about it, and you'll just be in a shitty mood for the entire whatever amount of time up until you have to have that conversation. Sure. And you won't even remember why that's in your, you won't even remember why you're in that mood. You won't even remember that you're being shitty because you have to have this horrible conversation. Like it just, it distorts all of your thinking. And so part of me is like, she knows she has to go talk to them and it's going to be horrible. It's like, like so much of her mood right now might just be dread, you know? Yeah. And and she's not even aware of that necessarily. No, I think I think you're right. I mean, I think that's I think that's a very fair read. Um, it's, yeah, you, you're like this idea that you're by turning the attention towards beating yourself up, you're like avoiding dealing with what's going to happen when you actually come to that conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. So Vicky walks her through her guidelines for good behavior at this point. You know, follow the law, do do what's right, reach out, minimize regrets. Uh, but as soon as she lays this out, she feels hypocritical because she realizes she hasn't invoked these rules in quite a while. Yeah, which is true. I mean, she hasn't. Um, but I do think she's being a little too hard on herself here. Like, just just because you have failed to live by the thing that you're trying to live by doesn't mean you can't recommend this as a general strategy for other people. Um, yeah. That's just like people. Like People are going to struggle and fail and and make choices that go against what they want sometimes because we're all we all screw up so i think she's being a little too hard on herself yeah um i I think she's being a little too hard on herself i agree so i mean what do you think about this this strategy though what do you think about victoria sharing her guidelines with kenzie her mantra like my gut reaction the first time i read it was oh that's really nice but that's not gonna help 
but the more I think on it and the more I think about this this section in, in particular, the more I read this, may, maybe they will. Like there's a moment later when Victoria is talking to Natalie about the rules and Kenzie kind of repeats the mantra back to her in a way that makes me feel like she's digested it and she understands it on a level to relate it to a, uh, the, the law situation. Um, so that made me a little hopeful. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I I agree. My first thought was basically like Kenzie's problem is not she doesn't have your power, Victoria. She's not going to accidentally throw a Nazi, a Nazi at a dumpster because she loses her temper. Mm-hmm. She's going to accidentally um, create some weird pictures of somebody on her hard drive that are going to get them in trouble or whatever. Like, sure, sure. Like her, her, her whole set of issues is different and not really adjacent to. Uh, whether you're being law abiding or not. Now I'm not saying therefore it's useless. I'm saying like, yeah, I mean maybe Kenzie does need to, you know, this, this idea of reaching out could be really helpful for Kenzie. Sure, like just, sure. Hey, before you, uh, before you plant, before you read that guy's files, just kind of mention it to somebody. This has been a problem with her ongoing, right? Where her team, yeah. her team will be caught off guard. Like, Oh, you've, uh, you went ahead and hacked all the, uh, the city's cameras, huh? Okay, uh, but we don't have time to deal with that right now because goddess or something. Okay, cool. Um, but but yeah, like if, if she just ran it by some other people before she did it, that would solve so many of her problems. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. So I mean, yeah, I do I do think I do think if if she fully digests this and fully understands this and 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 tries to use it, um, it, it could be helpful to her in some way. So I mean, we'll yeah. see. Like I would I would love for this for Victoria. Because I, I kind of want to give Victoria a win here where like she <laughs> can say, oh, I did help Kenzie. Good job, yeah. me. I can feel a little bit better about myself. But yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's in the cards. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Uh, so I wonder if you had any insight into Kenzie saying that Victoria is usually safe. Yeah, I thought about this for a long time. And I, I kind of got to the point where I was like, am I overthinking this? <laughs> like, I, I think I think Victoria's spot in in Kenzie's world was kind of a unique one, right? I think she's one of the very few people who met Kenzie's parents and kind of knows her entire backstory. Um, but she was never, she was never that the, in the position that Ashley was Ashley, like in the hierarchy, Ashley always seemed like she was above Victoria. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I just kind of got this idea that maybe, Maybe there's this there's this understanding in Kenzie's mind that she had that um, she had less anxiety and less stress around Victoria in the past because she occupied this kind of unique space in her world. Um, but with the death of Ashley, with with uh, the loss of her, the chicken tenders and with the hanging out with Victoria that's been going on, that that unique situation is changing and she's starting to more and more move into um the, the type of relationship that that concerns Kenzie or or she feels will lead down to making bad choices or go down a bad path. So that was my take. I don't, I don't know. The only reason I think it's worth like considering this a lot is because the text like draws attention to it. Like she says it and the text has Victoria say, well, what did that mean? I don't have time to talk about this right now. So it seems like we're drawing specific attention to it in a point that it makes really makes me want to crack it. But I don't I don't know if I have, you know? Yeah. Um. I, I I agree. I haven't cracked it either. Um, the, the the thing that it drew my attention to was that Victoria is super cool. Um, sure. Super cool and and badass. And you you you'd feel like a how old is Kenzie? 
like uh, tw- 12 yeah something like, that. something like that 11 12 yeah you'd, you'd feel like a 12 year old girl would would be would have a hero worship thing for victoria the same way if not more so than she does for ashley and why doesn't she is actually an interesting question that, that popped into my mind like what why why isn't victoria someone that she's obsessed with yeah and I don't have an answer. Maybe I, she I, just never really liked her. <laughs> That'd be I, funny, right? I, I mean, that's honestly <laughs> something that kind of came into my mind. I was like, maybe, she, yeah, like maybe they, she just does, maybe she just dislikes Victoria for some <laughs> reason, which is super convenient, actually. Yeah. The, the, person, the person who wants to be friends with everyone looks at Victoria and goes, nah. <laughs> I mean, it would be Good. like, it would be a, it would be a fun, like, kick in the nuts for, for us to be like, oh, uh okay <laughs> yeah i mean part part of me i, I went down a, a rabbit hole a bit with this with that kind of thing in mind with this idea that like maybe like victoria has convinced herself that she's like really helping this group and she's the coach that's helping them all and and making and taking care of them and maybe the whole time the rest of the group is like actually they're thinking they're the ones doing that for victoria <laughs> right yeah like I, that probably not but the, the thing it's just popping in my head I mean, I mean, she definitely does the spacey, the spacey thing where right, right. everyone is aware that she's not doing 100 percent and she's not aware that they're aware of that. Yeah. I do, also, go ahead. I do agree generally that I think they are helping her or trying to help her in ways in which she's not exactly aware of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's so focused on them. Yeah. Another thing that comes to mind is that Kenzie, uh, for, for at least a, a period of time recently, um, had read the diary and thought that that's who Victoria was. Sure, sure. And that might have put some distance or some weird spin on things. That is, it's kind of hard to untangle once you're once you think someone is a certain way. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That that's just one thing that could be a factor. Sure. Yeah. Who knows? So yeah, uh, weird stuff. Looking, I want to. I want to figure out. I, I'm sure we'll figure it. I'm sure we'll lo- hear more about this usually yeah. safe thing. What, what this means. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that the text kind of drew attention to it more than just Kenzie dropping the line means we are going to circle back to this eventually. Yeah, so I agree. So then Natalie picks them up in her car and begins to drive them to the Undersiders rural base. Um, so I, I pulled this out because I want to talk to you about this because this is, I think, an example of where um, your interpretation starts to influence the text in a way that you convince yourself that you're right. And therefore you read something that could mean something completely different. But okay. because of my interpretation, I've decided says, ah, there, my interpretation is correct. Here we go. Because um, Victoria says to Natalie, sorry to have you come all this way. Not too long a trip, Natalie said, but the roads are awful. And then Victoria says to herself, past a certain point. And I was like, aha, here's evidence for my the road to recovery eventually turns into a wilderness thing. Right. Like I, I could 100 percent convince myself that Vic- Victoria is specifically <laughs> referencing that in this moment. And I was like, well, I mean, that could just be her kind of being shitty to Natalie in her head because she's in a shitty mood. It doesn't have to mean that. But of course, my brain was like, no, no other Scott. I am correct. Your interpretation was brilliant. Here is the text confirming it. I just think that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like a. Uh, slightly super, superfluous line um, unless it means more than just like her being pedantic about the quality of the roads since Victoria <laughs> doesn't even drive how would she know how the roads are yeah I mean I think I think realistically I think this is just kind of showing there is there is still a certain uh, Victor, well let's just say Victoria's in a shitty mood and there is still a certain Snake. not 
not, yeah, like they're, they're not her and Natalie aren't like oh, best yeah. buds, right? Tension. Yeah. Not seeing eye to eye. Yeah. Although. Hold. Let's just hold that thought. All right. Let's, let's hold just it. hold that thought for for three paragraphs of the script. OK. OK. Um, yeah. So as they drive, Natalie brings them to uh, sorry, brings them up to speed on the news. Uh, sorry. On the new laws that they've been working on for the uh, post second apocalypse. Uh, I love the wording of this. Um, No, nothing targeting you. I did make an argument at one point that if we didn't make parahumans listen to us or include us, they wouldn't. Natalie said, Uh, which, (laughs) which like I, I had to parse, I had to like read twice to parse, but like the meaning is, you know, Yes, targeting you specifically, Victoria. Parahumans <laughs> don't listen unless you make them, Victoria. Yeah, it's it's really great. Uh, Natalie is trying to be uh, as you know, like political here as possible, and that like like you. I think the text even says that because Natalie's like relaying this information to her and giving her looks like she's terrified of how pissed off the Capes are going to be by this new rule. Um, like she's pissed, she's terrified of how Victoria is going to react to this. Right. Um, and so like, I think, I think she's just trying to be like very, very careful with how she says things to her. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, but she's also, there is a, this, a mild element of getting things off her chest too. I yeah, mean, sure. Sure. Yeah. She says she's not just complaining post facto, but she's. She's like, yep. That she definitely I, is, they, though. It was a learning experience. Yeah. Remember when I hung around with you guys and you, like, never asked me for my opinion on yeah. anything until it was, like, really fucking awful? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That, I, I learned all this from watching you, Victoria. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, so, yeah, the new cape rules are very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much oriented around bounties and forfeiture of assets. Um, uh, so, basically... Um, not so much around incarceration, more around stuff. Yeah. And Victoria approves in general. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of the bounties is kind of like moving the regulation to extrajudicial, right? It's like the capes will self-regulate via these bounties, um, like the an old West type of system. And I think I think one of the things I think we talked about a long, long time ago was this idea that capes came on the scene and the government, the laws, just kind of tried to like bring them into existing legal structures and it had not great degrees of success in that, but this seems like they're trying to build the legal structure from the ground up in a different kind of way to involve capes in a way that yeah. had never been done before. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the legal structures that we saw in worm were all influenced by cauldron in some way, shape or form yeah. trying to trying to make a world that they wanted to make where capes were, were central to things. And mm-hmm. shift shift things ever more in that direction, and this is the the humans finally saying like, you know what, we we can just stand back and provide piles of money to the capes that take out the capes that we don't want messing with our shit, and it's actually, I mean, I can see problems with it, obviously that nothing's perfect, sure, but it does it seems like a fairly elegant solution to um if you're a, if you're if you're a non parahuman that is it seems yeah. like a pretty elegant solution to the to the the struggle that you're that you're going through. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of Carol, right? Like I mean, this is literally Carol's find out what your enemy wants, take that away from them. Yeah. That's that's Carol. That's like vintage Carol strategy. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Which I mean makes sense because Natalie 
has long looked up to Carol and, and thought of her as very important as part of her life. Um, and so it makes sense that she'd develop uh, a system around that general idea. And it may, therefore it makes sense that Victoria would kind of like it because Victoria very much employs that strategy herself. Yeah. And I think that's kind of her worldview, like how, how villains work and what motivates them and stuff. Yeah. yeah it's cool. Yeah. Find um, out what they want. Just take that away from them. And then uh, yeah. there you go. So here's this moment we were waiting for. Like you were saying, there's never really been a lot of seeing eye to eye between Victoria and Natalie and uh, the text. And then Natalie has this heavy sigh at the end of her, her speech. And Victoria thinks, I hadn't felt any profound degree of kinship with Natalie until that sigh. How many times? I feel like Victoria said this multiple times, though. I feel like Victoria's had multiple times where she like acknowledged Natalie as part of the group or worthy of um like respect and i mean i guess those are different things right i guess worthy of respect and kinship is different so i think profound degree of kinship is a, is a rather strong phrasing yeah and, and i mean honestly there's a lot of notes of this conversation that read to me as like this is the last time we're gonna see natalie i don't oh, know God, that's terrifying well I don't, I don't know one way or the other right like like yeah, it, that's true. this feels like like something is wrapping up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I get that. I hadn't thought of that, but no, I I totally get that for sure. Um, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, like I, she's I, she's I coming in, like this. She's basically yeah because she's basically giving Victoria her report. Right? It's like I spent the entire first half of the book or most of the book, I guess, hanging out with you, observing you, um, working to develop legal systems, and here I am, and I'm cu- I've come to deliver you what we decided on. Yeah. So let me lay it out for you. Here's what I learned from you. Here's what we think we're going to do now. What do you think of it? And so I think, I think the finality definitely with that framing, I'm, I absolutely agree with you. We have really yeah. good catch. Yeah. I like that and, a lot. And punctuated with this moment of, of her saying now she finally feels a profound degree of kinship and, and really fundamentally, I mean, she doesn't say it out loud, but a realization that they've been working toward the same thing all this time, just yeah. in totally different ways. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can we talk about all the 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 dying dog imagery in this chapter? <laughs> yeah. Because there's talk. like a lot of it. Sure, hit me. So Victoria at the beginning of the chapter uses this dead dog metaphor, right? Like she says a dog got hit by a car is a metaphor for the city and how she failed to, to save the dog and everyone is upset about it. Then Kenzie mentions that the good old fuck the dog metaphor that was used way back in Worm, um, which is, is just... Is, is brilliant. It was a great callback. And then in this moment, in this sigh, Victoria brings her own dead dog metaphor back here and calls Natalie's sigh here a dead dog sigh. So why are we talking about dead dogs so much, Matt? I mean, especially because we're going to see the Undersiders soon. Yeah. And there's going to be dogs. But like, I don't that seems too literal of a of a connection to, to yeah. me. I mean, I don't know. Like when I see something like this and I I nothing pops into my head i immediately start like kind of just grabbing at things and one of the things i grabbed at that i'm not a super confident in is this idea that yes we are heading towards the undersiders base we are heading towards rachel's uh rachel's farm um and so we're about to have this big big intense confrontation on rachel's farm with these dogs and i think the idea of just introducing the fact introducing dogs and dogs dying in your readers heads kind of helps maybe subconsciously prep you for how 
terrible this conversation on Rachel's farm is going to go. Cause that like, then we move into a moment where Victoria says she can hear the dogs before she even sees them. And we're like, Oh dogs. But then in the back of your mind, you're like dead dogs. Oh God, yeah. this is going to be bad. This is yeah. going to be bad. Yeah. And these are monster dogs too. Sure. Yeah. So, or it yeah, could just mean that Rachel's going to die. I, oh God, why do you do this to me? <laughs> um, I, mean, I, I do love the idea that, that it's a subconscious prime for, uh, what's for for the the feelings that you should mm-hmm. be having that that that's cool, um, I, I like that. I I I've never I've never used a technique like that in my own writing to just like throw something in just to make just to make people uncomfortable. Yeah, but it seems seems like a good trick. Yeah, and I I, I want to give all credit where it's due, but this is also one of those things where I wonder to myself, am I just is this just bullshit? Like <laughs> is this just like something that happens to work? And was in no way intended, you know, like, I mean, that's one of the to me, that's one of the joys of of reading. Right. Is that sometimes like stuff just comes together in a way you never would have seen it, but it works. It accomplishes something interesting. I mean, yeah, I, I like. I fully think that the whole dog stuff was intentional, like the the recurring beats of dog stuff earlier in this text was intentional. If it was for this kind of subconscious uh, emotional priming. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's a yeah, fun, it's know. a fun thing to think, but I don't yeah. know. I mean, it's not like, you know what, this is a story and there's actually, it's actually not real. That's what? uh <laughs> what, what, you know, there was a, there was a do the right thing story that I wrote a few weeks ago and everyone who read it, um, understood it in a way other than the way I had, I had intended it. <laughs> in, 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 in a minor regard, like like one one minor thing about it, they took they took literally when I meant it metaphorically, and I and I decided, you know what, I like it better the way you have all understood it, <laughs> and now I agree that that is how it is meant to be. I mean, that's like you know just getting really just high level about writing in general. I mean, that's uh-huh. that's the thing I love about stories, right? Like we have been talking for an hour and twenty minutes. It could very well be that every single thing we have said was not at all intended by the writer, right? Like yeah. there's no way of knowing hundred percent or not. It could very well be that, that we are just quote unquote wrong to what he wanted to take. He, he wanted us to take out of this, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth talking about. It doesn't mean that it's not an interpretation that's worth talking about. And, and the comparison of these interpretations and the things that people pull from stuff based on your own internal biases, your own life experiences, the things that you believe or that you want to believe who you want to be and who you are, all these things come into how you read and what you take from it. And I mean, that's what we're offering two different takes that often align, but two different takes on this book, but there are an infinite amount infinite. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the fun of it. Yep, that's books. Not, tr- not trying to conclude on the correct take. Never, never, never. Yeah. Yeah. Never. Yep. So, finally, they reach the Undersider's place and we get the most horrible, unpleasant scene ever. Oh, good. Yay. Great. Yay. Um, so, many heartbroken kids approach them immediately, which is just very foreboding. Uh-huh. The conversation is tense and uncertain at first as the heartbroken gradually realize that there's something else up more serious than just needing tinker equipment. Kenzie tries to justify having read the heartbroken's files on the basis that she thought it was counterfeit material made by teacher. Um, And the thing is that she's probably being totally honest when she says that, but it comes off as extremely defensive. And I think overall in this whole conversation, Kenzie is her own worst enemy. Yeah, she's just spending so much time defending her actions that she's not just 
and saying she's sorry. Yeah. Apologizing for them. Yeah. 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 I, I want to spend a lot of time on this conversation, obviously, because this is like the most important thing that's ever happened ever for Kenzie. Um, but I, part of what I want to spend a time on it is, is how I, why I think it works, why I think, you know, there have been multiple Kenzie scenes throughout this book that have been like the perfect example of how to ratchet up tension in a scene. Uh, specifically the whole dinner table thing that I thought was just a masterwork. This is another one to me, the way in which the scene like starts off uncomfortable and then ratchets up to terrifying, I think is, is just so incredible. Yeah. And we've already talked about, you know, the whole 13 to one odds here with all the heartbroken, we get out of the car and all the heartbroken are there and they all just come forward in one unit. And, um, there's this beat where, where wild Bill kind of emphasizes, how samey they all are too. like all of the heartbroken, but one had black hair, the exception being a redhead girl I hadn't seen before. All but two of them were the same slender, slightly shorter than average body type with buxom chastity and a more robust looking little dude being the exceptions exceptions. And so it went. Juliet and Roman were the only two who had straight hair and not the unruly wavy hair of the rest of the group of note. Candy was one of three to dress in bright colors with nice clothes in a very modern style. Um, I, I think what this does here is establish like a uniformity among the heartbroken, right? We point out the exceptions to the rule and not the rule, meaning that most of them are just these people that have the same body type, are dressed the same, look the same, and are therefore in one unit. They are in a unit together and they are all standing against our characters. And I, I yeah. think that's a really great way of building up this, this you are outnumbered feeling. And it's just, it's subconsciously creepy and unsettling yeah. to have you know, silent mass of these dark haired children staring at you yeah, in, almost in the darkness. I, yeah, almost identical dark haired children staring at you, not doing anything. And yeah. then and then like as I think a a, a symbol for how bad this conversation is gonna go, we have Candy rush to her to get a hug, rush to Kenzie to get a hug, and Kenzie stops her and Candy takes off her mask and has this hurt look on her face and you're like, oh fuck. This yeah. is this is that's that's a great it's a great example of how bad this is gonna go. Yeah, right. I mean, Kenzie, uh, uh, Kenzie. Uh, wow, I just mixed Candy and Kenzie. Um, Candy's great though. Like, yes. I mean, th that's what's great about this whole thing is, yes, it's it's upsetting, it's intense, it's painful, it's scary. Um, but throughout the whole thing, there's the threat of humanity because yeah, even from the beginning, Victoria, yeah, she points out how everybody looks the same and it's creepy, but she also points out like, hey, that. The fact that th this group of people exists at all is just so sad and there's mm -hmm. so much pain here because these kids all have the same dad because he was a monster um, who created them because it amused him. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah, I, I think you're right. That That is that is the thing that works most about this is even though characters are on the other on two different sides of this conflict, like nobody's really a bad guy here. Right. I mean, some of them are escalating the conflict perhaps beyond what they should be, but like everyone's broken, everyone's in pain, everyone's hurting. Both sides have just lost someone super important to them. They're angry, they're irritable, and they want to protect each other. They are, they are a unit, they are a team, they are a family, and they protect people that are part of their family. And so it's just heartbreaking. It's just, yeah. I mean, that's a perfect word for it, but it, it, is. It, it is, it is, it is so, it is so sad. Like you don't, you want to be angry at people for hurting Kenzie. You want to be angry at Kenzie, but you can't really be angry at anyone. Yeah. It's all just, 
it's all just a, yeah. a, an unfortunate tragedy, right? Yeah. I do think Kenzie is is not doing herself any favors, like you hinted at, though, because there are moments where, like, instead of just apologizing, Darlene says, like, you read our stuff, my writing, you saw my pictures. Yeah, what I saw was really good. That's not that's not helping, no. Kenzie. No. And then and then when Chicken Little admits that he's doing this composite of uh, like or he's he's finding pictures of people that remind him of his mother and he's collecting them, which is just so ugh. God, that hurts. And then Kenzie's like, yeah, I could help you with that. I could, I could, you know, do a composite image and put them all together. And it's like, Kenzie, no, 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 no. Stop. Stop it. Stop helping. Stop Stop helping. (laughs) You're not helping at all. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so many of these things are happening all at once. And I think it just, it just comes together in this really beautiful way to make this, this perfectly tragic and tense and scary and heartbreaking. Well, I mean, the thing is that like, I had no idea it was going to be this bad, which is a kind of kind of ridiculous thing to say but like i i imagine she would go and i I thought it was going to focus more on kenzie being hurt by the things that they had said about her and that was almost an afterthought to this whole conversation where it's it's almost entirely about the fact that she breached their confidence and and i guess that that was a i guess i guess i don't know if i guess it was intentional that we were set up to be more focused on the way Kenzie was hurt than to really be thinking about the fact that the, the heartbroken were all going to feel really violated by yeah um, her like breaking explicitly a, a promise she'd made to them, which she didn't even mention really. Like she didn't mention to Victoria like, oh, yeah, like um, I told them I wouldn't read their stuff and I did. And <laughs> Yeah, I specific um, I was specifically told to stay out of specific things and I definitely didn't. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think. I think it's probably we're closer to Kenzie, right? So we're kind yeah. of we're kind of automatically on team Kenzie here. Um yeah. but but yeah, but yeah, I mean, and then, you know, things escalate when the onlookers begin to feel that Kenzie has broken the cardinal rule of heartbrokening, which is don't hurt the chicken. Yeah, so we've basically just gone full children of the corn. And yeah. These children these children who are all dressed and look the same are just chanting don't hurt the chicken. That's t- fucking terrifying yeah <laughs> yeah and 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 then juliet uses her power on kenzie right and that's when like shit goes oh oh no oh no yeah. this is gonna turn from uh, an emotionally heartbreaking conversation to actually some people could get hurt yeah right uh, yeah at a certain point i was like i wonder if victoria could just like go full wretch and just like fly around through the crowd you know that that, yeah. that, might, that might help i do like when she tries yeah. to use her aura and everyone's just like hey we all yeah. have emotional powers sorry yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, so, so Imp says, okay, I guess that's the conch cell being broken, uh, which I didn't even consciously register the first time as being one of those Imp with the literary references moments. Yeah. It's delightful. I, I, I love it, but it's also like, holy shit, this is yeah. serious because like she just compared what's happening here to fucking Lord of the Flies. Yeah. And, and there's a, a real sense that, that Imp has completely lost control of the situation if she ever had control right like right like they're about to go piggy on kenzie right that's yeah, what's gonna happen yeah spoilers <laughs> the scene that's being referenced ends with <laughs> a child being killed yeah so yeah. and uh it's it's just like again but you're not even like mad at them you're just like you get it like you get it because even yeah. chicken little here like chicken little doesn't want this but he is really hurt like it's random and stupid, but it's supposed to be my private random and stupid. And I love that. I love that Victoria Kenzie's having to, to face this real consequence of, of not like she didn't, what she did to these guys is not what she did 
to um to her step parents, right? It's right. not what she did to members of her old team, right? Where she got them in trouble by doing something with the betrayal of the privacy. It's literally here just the the betrayal of the privacy. That that is what you did. It's not yeah. it's not how you took that information and then did something terrible with it that that hurt them. It's just that you betrayed their privacy. And I think I think it's an important lesson for her to learn to see that sometimes just that is enough. Yeah, definitely. Because she has this thing where like she doesn't believe in privacy. Yeah. And 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 her power is her worst enabler here because it's like, yeah, yeah. Like everything you you do is going to be by default violating someone's privacy. And I think that maybe she literally has it's like never occurred to her somehow like. You know how you just kind of wave off this idea of privacy being important and that's something for other people and it doesn't really matter? Mm-hmm. Consider that that's your biggest problem, mm-hmm. Kinsey. Um, which, yeah. which again, that that's not an easy ask, right? That's no. like an, It's like an emotion she doesn't have. How are you supposed to it, – it's hard to relate to something that you just don't share. But Yeah. And, and to Victoria's credit, she kind of tried to build into her mantra that she told Kenzie this idea of respecting people and and that respect includes respecting their privacy yeah Yeah. so yeah we'll see if that works i don't know i don't know so chastity candy and imp work together to keep the other younger heartbroken at bay candy talks down darlene despite kenzie admitting that she specifically specifically looked at darlene's private files and kenzie's candy's plea is beautiful and moving and unfortunately, way too long to just block quote, but it's great. Yeah, but we can do this part at least, right? Because we do, I think you're right that it is most, most of the conversation is turned on what Kenzie did to them, but they do eventually get to what they did to Kenzie, right? And Kenzie says, I read the things you said, the jokes, like when I called you and you said, look out, another Kenzie call, or Candy calling me thirstier than a humpless camel. You said I was so broken, it would take your dad to fix me, and you hate your dad. Um, some things are so horrible you have to joke about them, Darlene said. I'm that horrible, Kenzie asked quiet. Dad is. And that, God, it's so hard. Like, there's this whole moment here where Candy says, we grew up with each other. We're all broken. We're all horrible. We are nasty to each other, but it's just a thing we do to each other. It's just a thing we do and we've gotten used to. And because we started considering you part of the family, we started doing it to you too. And we're sorry. Like it sucks. It's awful, but that's, that's kind of the way it is. And you can't take it. You can't take the worst possible interpretation of that. Like she just did with the Darlene stuff. Like some things are so horrible. You have to joke about them. Kenzie's immediate interpretation of that statement is you mean me? No, not you, not you. Yeah. Right. I've, I've, I've seen this happen before with, with real friends where like yeah, yeah. the, the person is, is being inducted into the friend group, uh, you know, informally as as these things go and people start uh uh giving them shit mm-hmm. and and that that's actually a good thing right that means i can just i can just say it when you're annoying me that's a good <laughs> thing right? right like that that that, that means you're actually friends <laughs> but if you're not used to it and if yeah. you're especially a type of person like kenzie who is terrified that everyone is going to eventually grow to hate her and and leave her uh it's the worst possible thing absolutely yeah it's very understandable yeah, yeah. I, I, very realistic kind of way for that to evolve Mm -hmm. i love it so but yeah candy does turn the table on things and the result is that uh rather than um kenzie being thrown off of a cliff um, (laughs) a contingent of the undersiders and heartbroken will be coming along now 
uh, mostly because Tattletail intervenes and agrees that this is important and they should do this. Yeah, so now Chicken Little is going to come. Tattletail is going to come. Everyone's, it's going to be a party at the, the Shard Gate and everybody's invited. So, Matt, uh-huh. uh, we're six chapters into this arc. I I have a feeling that the the tinkering with the dream door is going to happen in this arc. How are you feeling about it at this point? How are you feeling? I'm feeling, I'm feeling like uh, we're setting things up for some kind of final movements of the story. And that this is going to be very um, big. I don't know whether good or bad. Yeah. But it's yeah. going to be really big. It's going to be it's going to be a massive change that no one is ready for. Yeah, I mean, we it's are gathering. Be, yeah, yeah. We are literally gathering all our main characters together, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it certainly seems like we're moving towards that. And I, 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 like I said at the beginning, I go back and forth whether I think, uh, you know, if you had asked me a couple weeks ago, I would have been like, absolutely, Victoria is going to fuck this up and she's going to bring about the exact thing she's trying to prevent. That is absolutely 100% going to happen. I'm less sure about that now. Um, but yeah, I am still deeply concerned. I, I still think the, the the text is really priming us to feel not great about this, to feel deeply concerned about these characters doing this thing right now. Yeah, I feel like they're going to cause a cataclysm that makes uh, Dauntless look like nothing. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's a bad thing or, or, <laughs> or a purely bad thing, maybe. I mean, if the city's evacuated and you and you destroy the city. Totally. Then, uh, you know, it's fine. Yeah. In the world of parahumans, cataclysms, not that bad. Not that bad. Yeah. Cataclysm. Yeah. They happen. In fact, they happen uh, regularly <laughs> by the clock even. Ugh. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but um, I mean, so I, I think I think we have to say, you know, I am I'm inclined to agree with you about how it feels like we're moving towards the final moments or the final movements of the story. Rather, how do you think we're going to wrap all this up, though? Like. Do do does Dauntless Dauntless and and uh, the Seamurg have to play into this somehow, right? Yeah, they will. Seamurg is gonna fuck everything up. I mean, I mean, er, I mean, everything they're doing is probably the Seamurg plot anyway. Well, that's depressing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Seamurg might be totally on their side though. So it could be that would be could. a real t- real twist of Ruskies. Yeah, I mean, I think fundamentally, and don't want to put words in your mouth, but could be that the question you're asking is, are we going to get a happy ending or a sad ending? And I don't want to say because I'm too scared. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't want to say. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things is, you know, we're, we're drawing conclusions about themes and, and the conceit of the story as we're going, but really the, by definition, a story's conceit is revealed at the end. Yeah. So like, we think we know what the story's about and what it's going to say, but it really, it has to say, it has to finish saying it first. So right. to, to conclude on what the ending's going to be depends on what the story is saying, which depends on it finishing. So I agree that answering that question is kind of like, eh, I don't know. I know how I want it to end, but sure, I'm not going to, sure. that's, that, that's what I'm not going to say. Cause yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and now watch the story go on for like, 16 more arcs and we're just totally wrong about I mean, this it, being the end. It absolutely could. But I do agree yeah. on some level. I feel like we are moving towards. I mean, not like I'm not saying like the the book's going to be over next arc or anything, but I think moving towards the 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 
overarching conflict that could go on for another four or five arcs or whatever. Yeah, I agree. All right. That wraps up our two chapters for the day. Great chapters. Now to discuss uh, the discussion question from last week. Are Damsel and Swansong the same person? Why or why not? So so we um, got a lot of answers to this one. Um, yeah. They all said no. Um. <laughs> <laughs> they all said no. So so I think we're going to be, uh, instead of reading everyone's answer, um, we're going to pick kind of some main lines of thought that we saw expressed and and read those from, from yeah. a few particular contributors um because yeah. uh, fr- frankly otherwise it would have ended up being repetitive yeah if we didn't pull your answer um this week it's not because we don't like it or you it's just uh the, the kind of the nature of the question and, and the way people answered it kind of made us have to do that plus we don't want to be here for 45 minutes because we did yeah. get we did get quite a few answers to this one yeah so first sarah penguin says they share an upbringing they have similar aesthetics to the point that they can uh, be at each other's throats over it they share experiences uh, and they can see what each other see and feel what each other feel, and they're always connected. Um, so clearly, Tristan and Byron are the same person. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> got us. Um, so, is, but by any metric, to say Swan and Damsel are the same can be applied to Tr- Tristan and Byron. They might have the same DNA and memories, but they have different goals, make different choices, and act as two different people. So they are different people. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fine. Sure. I can't wait to hear what Matt has to think. I, I mean, like basically, basically, uh, there's no, I don't think there's a right or wrong to this. It's it's all just plumbing what different people feel like defines personhood. Sure, sure. And and I, there's literally no correct answer to this. So I'm just it it I I it is fascinating to see what what different people prioritize and put front and center in their reasoning. I'm sorry, Matt, but you are wrong. There is a correct uh, answer, and no. it is no. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. No, without explanation. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Zeronis ZG says no. Right answer. In fact, we know from Bonesaw <laughs> interlude that the Slaughterhouse Nine clones were never really identical mentally. Bonesaw lacked the memories of the originals and had to fabricate new ones to get the clones quite right. This mostly worked out in the end, but she experimented with putting more weight in certain memories versus others in the individual clones. Later on, the shards would perhaps try to sync the clones up, but as we know for, with the Chris, the shards just can't quite remove whatever structure is in place from before. So even synchronized up, the clones retained some individuality with over time which over time made them quite different from each other. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, I, I guess I would, I would be like, then at what point um, were, were they ever the same person or were they never at all? Like even from the moment they, they came out of the vat, were they, were they different people? Yes. Different weights, the different memories and whatever, but really if you have the same set of memories, with slightly different weights on different ones, does that make you different people? I mean, I would say if you if you hatch a if you hatch fifteen clones of me, okay, we don't actually have cloning technology. That's pretend. But if you use the Star Trek transporter and made fifteen of me, those would be all me, until they started having different experiences. That'd sure. be my answer. Yeah. So, but that definitely but, happened. I mean, so your yeah. answer is no. Cool. My answer probably is no, but <laughs> but but my reasoning involves Star Trek transporters, of course. Yeah. Lone Wolf 8424 says, it seems that most people definitely believe that Damsel and Swan Song are distinct people, and I agree with that, but I wanted to try and play devil's advocate. Thank you, Lone Wolf. I love <laughs> devil's advocate. The best argument I can come up with is, is that they're the same person at different stages of their journey. The problem is I think that they're actually, there's, that, that's actually an argument for, nah, they're different people. 
Like probably no 25-year-old would look at their 15-year-old self and say, yep, that's who I am. It would be, that's who I was, with the implied meaning, that's a different person from who I am now. Uh, so sorry, the best devil's advocate I can give you is that they uh, literally are the same person, but in practice, in all the ways that matter, they're totally different. See, I think that's interesting because you literally are the same person you were when you were, when you were 15. Like you just are. You're the same person. Well, there's no... Like, like there's no, there's no other, there's no sense in which you're not the same person you are, except the colloquial sense where we say, oh, I'm a totally different person, but you're not actually that. That's why we say that is because it's funny, right? <laughs> I don't like, I don't think, I don't think many, most people believe that. But you're, but you're clearly still Scott Daly. Well, yeah, but. <laughs> and, and yeah, but you're, I mean, you have more experiences, but you're still the same person, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, that all, that all depends on what the definition of person is, right? Like, this is blowing my mind. I, re- I really thought everyone thought they were the same person for their whole lives. Well, but I mean, like, I don't know, like, I define, I define who I am and who people are based on their choices, right? So if a 15-year-old version of me makes a different choice than a 25-year-old version of me, is that the same person? See, there's two different usages of person, I think, one of which is like, I don't think it's worth (laughs) digging into, honestly, but yeah, I I think that's interesting. I mean, I I agree I am literally the same person, like literally, like (laughs) the the most fundamental understanding of of what person means, yes, a 15-year-old Scott is the same as 25-year-old Scott, but like in, when we start diving into concepts of like how your experiences change you, how, uh, how why different versions of you would make different choices given different options, like at different times. Like, what does that mean? How how does that happen? If you're the same person, how is it possible that you make a different choice? I don't know, if, Scott. If Ashley, if Ash, if Swansong and Damsel are the same person, how is it possible that Swansong made different choices than Damsel did? Um, <laughs> they're, they're the same person. <laughs> Okay, let's move on. Okay. Uh, Bisexual Punch Party said, Damsel of Distress and Swansong are not the same person. They began to diverge the moment they were released from Bonesaw's clone vats. A pair of nanuplets? Sure. Whose memory and perspective only differ by where in the line they emerged. But from that point of divergence, each began to live slightly different lives and make different choices. They're two identical versions of Ashley Stillens who made choices to become different people. One Swansong, one Damsel of Distress. Okay, sure, yeah. So, so more reasoning along the lines of it is uh, experiences that add up to uh, making making what would have been one person two different people by process of divergence. Yeah, and and I think bisexual punch party points out the choices, the difference in choices, and that to me that is what speaks to me personally. Yeah, right. About about personhood. Yeah, I mean, just to be just to be an ass, <laughs> if you if you had if you had two identical clones. And you raise them in like perfect holodeck experience machines, such that they had all of the same experiences, and they made all of the same choices for like ten years. Would they still be the same person at the end of ten years? Anyway, yeah, yes, yes, no, no. See, I can also see a reason. I can also see that being no, though. See, you can always come up with a Star Trek related thought experiment. That fucks with your intuitions about personhood. Damn it, Star no. Trek. That's the lesson here. Okay. Months for College says, if you took a version of yourself from five seconds earlier in the day, not even from an alternate universe, I would say without a second's hesitation that you're both different people. You both have separate consciousnesses and you both act independently. 
that you share near identic memories and largely share near identical personalities doesn't really change. You could say the same thing for babies in the womb, but we don't act as if they're interchangeable. Yeah, this is where I think I think five seconds is too much to start. Like, I guess, like, scientifically, if you if you manage to separate two moments in time and and have them exist simultaneously, then those are different people. But that's not how things I don't know. Right. I'm hurting my brain. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I think uh, so, so here's here's the thing is. The concept of personhood, if it means anything, it can't it can't literally mean the difference of like the position of one electron from 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 femtosecond to femtosecond in a person's brain. It has to mean something more abstract than that, because if per, if if I become a different person with every passing movement of a neurotransmitter in my brain, then we then personhood is not a meaningful concept. Like there's no point to having that concept at all. Like there is no such thing as a person that there have been trillions of people giving you this podcast right now, not just one talking for two hours. Right. Cool. So that's that doesn't make sense. Person, it has to be something where there's an element of continuity in it. And if that continuity can't extend over five seconds, then again, not a very useful concept. So, see, I, I think it's correct to say that if you if you somehow, you know, split from. If you, if you copy me five seconds ago and have me here, we might make different choices. That's true. Um, but like it, it, that's a, that seems to me a very fragile and not very useful uh, notion of personhood. Man, I don't know. This conversation is providing zero clarity to me. <laughs> that's because personhood is a nonsense concept, Scott. We, <laughs> we just like free will. It's something we make up to make ourselves feel better. Moving why, on. Why did you ask this question then? Oh, because I love trolling everyone. <laughs> All right. Roundest Frog says, yes, but also no. They were both at one point the original damsel in Boston. Both could look at the same person and say, that's me, and be right. There was undeniably only one Ashley at that time, and both of them are undeniably her. They are both that person, and that person is them. At the same time, their current selves are undeniably different people. They have different personalities, different bodies, and now one is dead and the other isn't. Good point. When both could refer to Boston Ashley as them, Slashley could hardly report, point at Ashley's corpse and say, that's me. I like this a lot. Personhood is, isn't per- perfectly linear or binary. It's messy and unprecise and impossible to pin down. I think you would agree with that, Matt. Uh-huh. It can't be tied to physical being because our physical beings are entirely replaced over the course of a very few years. It can't be personality because that's something that also changes over time. It can't be memory either because we lose those and past selves who remembered things we no longer do. But lacking mem- the memories we made since are also still us. Yes. Yes. This, this is the right answer. <laughs> thank you around this frog I, I um, like this i think this is a great we'll, we'll wrap up on one last thing he says here the best way to pin down personhood is with sequence if one thing becomes another thing they are the same thing if you add one plus one the two they make is still both ones if you burn a piece of wood to ash it's still that wood it isn't wood but it is wood <laughs> okay we gotta move on this is great no i, I love the, the last line of this answer so to sum up, yes, but also no. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's Perfect. great. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Uh, Killer Kino says, I think the book has been purposely muddying these waters for a long time. Ashley's story is so tragic, and it seems like OG Damsel was a way for her to insulate herself from tragedy going forward. With the power of ultimate erasure and a rep of unpredictability, the safest bet is stay away. 
Her headspace is so fractured before the Slaughterhouse 9 slash 9000 that she's probably borderline um, dissociative identity disorder, borderline, uh, uh, yeah, dissociative identity uh, confirmed bipolar. Mm -hmm. Uh, Identifying and living as damsel and suppressing Ashley. Then throw in all the implanted memories, the shard memories, the post Slaughterhouse 9000 deprogramming being different for each of them. For the most part, they are identical physically, emotionally, and mentally. Personally, I see Damsel slash Swansong as two identities of the same person. And through exceptional physical and metaphysical circumstances, they were able to become separate. So they are the same person, but because of the person they are and their unique experiences, they have become separate people. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> so Matt wants every answer to be yes, but also no. I want it to reflect the fact that this is a fucked up situation. Yes, this is this is great. <laughs> All right. Uh, X Das Nouveau says, I am not the same person as I was three years ago. So why should the Ashley some years of different experience and voila, two distinct but related personalities. Kind of already talked about that. Yep. But I mean, th- that is that is definitely the way a lot of people feel about the, the concept. And, and that's and the really, way I felt about it before tonight. And now I don't know what I feel. Hooray. I, I think the, pr- the problem is that I mean, frankly, the problem is we, we use the word person to mean at least two different things and possibly more. Um, and, and this is, and this is just, I mean, this is a totally honest and true answer that the, the way we tend to use it in conversation is to be like, yeah, I'm totally a different person than I was three years ago. And I, and, and I've probably said exactly that. And I've totally meant it in, in that sense of the word person. Um, it's just it, English lacks all of the necessary words. So yeah. AIs are uh, going to speak way better than us. They totally are. They're going to uh, solve personhood. They will. It's a good point. Uh, Deep Scorn Prisoner says they aren't the same person right now. Their experiences post Slaughterhouse 9000 are too divergent. However, if Danzel keeps having shard downloads into her brain of Swansong's more heroic experiences and happy memories, then I think we're heading for a uniquely fucked up ship of Theseus situation. I like this answer too because it's very it's very concise and it's one of the few that actually acknowledges the idea that um, that Damsel will now be downloading Swansong memories and like some kind of weird Tuvix fusion will be happening. Yeah. It's a for, that's a uh, Star Trek Voyager pull for you. you Jesus, know? Jesus. Uh, have you gotten, have you done any, any D space nine yet? Or you get the, no, the, no, we'll see if we can fit in something about Odo. Okay. Uh, Kausubula says they are not the same person. Of course they're not the same person. They have lived different experiences and for all they might be influenced by memories of alternate lies. They place different weights and pull different lessons from those memories. I, I like that a lot. And I know like you've confused me royally this entire time, but the idea that these two people experience the same memories, but weigh them differently seems to me to indicate a, a difference in personhood. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, if you copy their brains, like they have two different brains, like you can't. So, I mean, they're definitely different people in that sense. Right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Master says for me, the challenge of stating the Ashleys are different people is reconciling that with the idea that Furcate can have any sort of cohesive, cohesive identity. They both started out as a single person and through some shardy interactions became split into several bodies that all identified as that person. Death comes and goes, and at this point in the story, we end up with a single Furcate and a single Ashley. Each of them has incorporated individuals with varying lived experiences into their own personal history, and if anything, Ashley's claim to a singular personhood is stronger due to the fact that she retains some memories from each of herselves. Now, just like Furcate, Ashley must find out how to reconcile these different people into a single identity after they've been brought together. I know I'm super interested in finding out which aspects Ashley decides to hold on to in her quest for ascension. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. I like, and and uh, that reminds me of you know above someone else also mentioned the distinction between identity and personhood, and mm-hmm. um, perhaps that is the the crux of of what I'm of what I'm kind of gesturing at when I say like yeah like they are different people but they have the same identity or they they have different identities but the same person. I mean, there's definitely. There's definitely concepts that are at odds with each other here. It's yeah. just fascinating, though. Sure, yeah. Uh, the Stephen Zubinator says no, and Scott thought this question would be hard. I did, and I was right, Stephen. My brain <laughs> hurts. Um, Stephen says I myself and and am and, and the God. I can't say that. I myself am an identical twin, but we've been forming different memories and having different experiences since birth. Swan Song and Damsel share a lot of memories and mental architecture, but the differences in their personality and choices are enough to illustrate that they're not the same person. Um, and then they start talking about Harry Potter and the method of rationality, and I don't understand any of it. Um, uh, they're just saying that the, the Marauder's Map would say they're the same person, which just means like some objective third party might say, oh, yeah, you're the same person, but that doesn't actually mean you are, you know? Sure, sure. Um, uh, yeah. But what if you and your twin, Stephen, start going to sleep at night and experiencing each other's lives in in full, and it's like you experienced it? What then? Yeah. What then, yeah. Stephen? Yeah. See, it's and complicated. It's complicated. Yeah. I just want to know which of you is damsel and, and which is swan song. That's all. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, Stelhex says, uh, in a straightforward equality sense, obviously not. Two things are not the same when they have all, um, all or almost all the same qualities. Sorry, sorry. Blah, blah, blah. Two things are the same when they are Jesus Christ. <laughs> One more time. Two things are the same when they have all or almost all the same qualities. And uh-huh. Damsel obviously has a lot of qualities which are different from Swan Songs. In a practical sense, less obviously not, but ultimately still a pretty clear no. Two things are the same when they do the same things and fill the same roles. Damsel is not and doesn't want to do many of the things that Swansong did or fill most of the same roles that Swansong did. In a taking the train of thought on a wild ride off into linguistic philosophical dreamland sense, uh, which is my preferred sense, um, <laughs> still not really, but also sort of kind of. Two things are the same when there is some underlying definition which they both cleave to sufficiently, where sufficiently is context dependent. The usual most convenient such definition for people is the past of one is a subset of the past of the other. For example, nobody would question it were I to say, I went to high school, even though the person who went to high school under my name was very different from the person writing this, because his past is a subset of my past. But uh, by this definition, OG Ashley equals Swan Swansong, and OG Ashley equals Damsel, but Swansong does not equal Damsel. When explicitly talking about people being the same, a more common definition is shares a past and behaves similarly. For example, she's not herself when she's hungry, or don't, don't let his new look fool you. Underneath, he's still the same old slime ball. The specifics and degree of similarity is very context-dependent here. Say Theo saw some heavy, corrupted footage of Damsel having a conversation. Even unable to clearly make out face or voice, he would still perceive something familiar in her disposition and mannerisms, and might realize out loud, oh, that's swan song, and he would be right. And Victoria might sigh sadly and say, no, it isn't. And she would also be right. This is so good. I'm so glad I asked this question. I, these, are the, these are the best answers. Y'all are, y'all are great. Y'all I'm, are so, great. I'm so happy for all you guys. Thanks for playing my game. I, I understand how Tristan felt when he wanted to claw his face out <laughs> with his fingers. No, I mean, I, I like, this is... 
getting beyond the type of stuff I like to talk about, but I know you love it and I'm glad you got the exact type of answers you were looking for. I appreciate everyone that put in the work to really, uh, really explore this in the crazy ways it went. Um, that was, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I have like three new ways of looking at personhood after this. Yeah, so, yeah. um, thanks. Mm-hmm. All right. New discussion question, Matt, what we got, we got, uh, so let's talk about Natalie's new Cape laws question is, is this the best possible law enforcement paradigm? How would you design or improve it? Yeah. So is this it? Is this the best they can do when capes are involved? Or is there a better system out there? And if there is, what does it look like? Let us know. Yeah. And that's all we've got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach us via our email address at gotwormpod at gmail.com. Also remember, that's where we would like you to submit your mailbag questions for this mailbag. Uh, just put mailbag in the, the subject, please. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. It's where you can see latest updates and when all the new episodes come out and my uh, Sunday afternoon live reads of the latest two chapters. You can also follow our personal Twitters. Mine is scottdaily85 and Matt's is more dinner mail. Matt, I talked about... Uh, Talked about the the um, uh, Jeremy Renner app the other day on Twitter. It's, yeah, it's a crazy wild world in that Jeremy Renner app. That's that's fascinating. It's an utterly fascinating world that I haven't <laughs> had time to delve into yet. Don't do it. Don't go there. It's I, not I, a good world. It's a bad. It's a bad bad world. Okay. Okay. Um, if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find this and all the other podcasts we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. Let's talk about our Deconstructing Directors series for a little bit, Matt, because that's been something we've been working on for a while now. We are currently uh, six movies through the the filmography of M. Night Shyamalan. Basically, the concept of the show, if you've never listened to it before, is uh, we sit down, we pick a director and we work through their movies one by one. We talk about their influences, who they are. We kind of use their artwork to kind of get an idea of who they are and the decisions they make and the movies they want to make. Um, It's been a fascinating journey for M. Night Shyamalan, a director that I absolutely love. Matt likes a lot too, but uh, we're getting, we're getting to their not- great part of his career the rough phase yeah Um, we covered the happening last week and not this week but next week we will be talking about m night Shyamalan's the last airbender the infamous yeah so you can subscribe to the doofcast or go to doofmedia.com to see that show comes out every friday yeah um that's right and if you like any of our shows and you want to support them consider donating to our patreon account at patreon.com slash doofmedia you can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford, and you'll be supporting our shows and the shows of MediaMD and also uh, Do the Right Thing. Um, support, supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in the fan art contest, which is now being opened, um, costume contests when those when those arise, oh, usually during soon. the fall season, so that's going to be coming pretty soon, yep. Uh, hangout sessions with, uh, with the Doof crew at large. And access to live streams of our recording sessions like this very one. And also, of course, the excellent Discord chat, which is just a hop in place. <laughs> hop in. Hop in. And as always, make sure you head over to patreon.com slash wildbow and donate to Wildbow because this is his world. We're just playing in it. Special thanks this week to new patrons, uh, Bidoofs at the $1 level, Elizabeth P. and Tim H. Thanks so much. And Doof Dancers at the $5 level, Goldfish Bowl and MFLS. 
thank all of you so much. Uh, we couldn't do this without you, literally. Yeah, you know, we really appreciate it. Each and every one of you, we really do appreciate it so, so much. And of course, uh, if you cannot afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. We would never want you to do that if you can't afford it. Uh, but there are tons of ways to help us out still. You can share the podcast. You can talk about us. You can brag about how great we are to other podcasters. Uh, or you can just simply... <laughs> Uh, leave us a rating and a review. You can go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, or if there's other apps that let you do reviews that I don't know about, you can leave them there too. Uh, please, you know, it really does help, uh, you know, people get to see that we're legit and people like us. It's important in podcasting that other people see that there are people out there that like us. So yeah, we appreciate those of you that take the time to, to leave those rating and reviews. And there's algorithms and shit. Yeah, there also. are algorithms. Those tricky, tricky algorithms. Yeah. Well, that's all we got for you this week. Next week, From Within continues. Oh, it's going to get good. And by good, I mean bad. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>